What's up, y'all? And welcome to Tales from the Band Room podcast. I'm Dr. Jack Eady, a 19-year educator, and I've built strong programs in urban schools. I'm so proud of what we're able to accomplish in spite of the obstacles many of my students faced. And I want to share my story to help others face in similar situations. So I created this podcast to share tools and strategies I've learned during my career. Each week, the episodes will be real, raw, with a touch of crazy, but it's what I use to motivate and get the best out of my students. Thanks for listening. Now let's go. Welcome to episode six. Today we're going to talk about what the textbook didn't teach me. And today we have two amazing guests, William Irving and Marcus Morris. William Irving is the director of Ben. No, I, I can't say that now. Can I? Like, what's your? You got to say, doctor. What? What? What's your title now? Uh, coordinator of professional development for the City of Baker School System. Hey, Jesus. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Look at God. <laughs> <laughs> so today we have with us two uh, phenomenal educators. We have the Dr. William Irving, uh, who is the former director of bands at Baker High School, and he is now the coordinator of professional development for the entire Baker City school system. I'm super excited to have Will on today. And we also have the one and only Marcus Morris uh, out of the great state of South Carolina. And he is the assistant director of bands at the Dorman High School. If you don't know who these gentlemen are, you need to get on, on Al Gore's internet and learn about these wonderful people because these, these two people are rock stars in our profession, and I'm super excited to have them uh, talking to us today. So how's everything going, guys? What's going on? Man, everything is going great. It's, it's good to be on uh, the Tales from the Band Room podcast, Jack. I'm glad to finally make it, Marcus. I think we made it, man. We have <laughs> finally made it. We have finally made it. We are on Tales from the Band Room podcast with the great Dr. Jack Eady. I'm excited, man. What you got for us tonight, Jack? Y'all better stop it. <laughs> so the cool thing about this is, you know, this is real raw and unfiltered. And a lot of times when you're teaching in urban schools, you have you have to learn and know things that they don't teach us in college. And so this is all about what the textbooks didn't teach us. And so before we dive in into that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? So Will. You know, tell us about tell us about your life, where you're from. Yeah, well, I'm I am born and raised in the city of Atlanta, and uh, actually got my uh, my bachelor's degree from Clark Atlanta University uh, in the AU Center there in Atlanta, Georgia, and then I went on to get my master's at Mississippi Valley State University. During all of those ten years, I did start teaching. Uh, my first teaching gig, man, was in the heart of the AU Center at Booker T. Washington High School as the interim director there. Uh, after uh, the great legendary Mr. Alan Ward uh, retired and I got a chance to be there for a semester until they found someone permanently. I was fresh out of school, man, and going into a 
a huge program like that and a historical program uh, like Booker C. Washington High School, the Marching 100, uh, it, it was it was definitely a, a feat. Uh, we had some good times there, man, and uh, I really appreciated the opportunity uh, that Dr. Shirley Kilgore, the principal there, gave me. Uh, taught there for a while, then I went uh, to work in corporate America at Mars Music Store, man. I don't know if you remember Mars Music Store, but it's kind of like the original ah, guitar yeah. center. Yeah, so I, I managed the band department there as, as well as ran the uh, private lesson studios there for about two years. Uh, so that was great. And then I uh, got picked up there from uh, by Mr. Don Robertson, DeKalb County, uh, to come and teach uh, in the Canby Lane Cluster or the Towers Cluster over in DeKalb County. And, and that's where everything got started from there, man. I uh, went there and started working, worked there for a semester, and then got the job at Avondale High School as band director. And man, that's where it really kicked off, uh, being able to go to festivals and do all the things that I saw all of my predecessors or, or my teachers do. Uh, all the all the time in, in 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 our career, and that's I did all that before I went to get my master's. Man, things kind of jumped off there, you know, growing the program, uh, traveling and 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 performing everywhere, and really starting to find out what type of band director I wanted to be, and that's kind of where it started. Uh, after yeah. getting my master's, I went back to my alma mater, Mays High School, and was there for six and a half years as director. After that, moved to Louisiana, started my doctorate at North Central University in higher ed leadership, worked at Southern University. So I've got both sides of it, higher ed as well as secondary schools, man. So I kind of kind of see how things work and how they can work together and how we need to work more together to make things successful for our students. So that's where I am now. I'm still at Baker High School uh, in the city of Baker Schools. I do still work with the band program. I just took a new gig as uh, the coordinator of professional development for the city of Baker School District. And I'm enjoying it so far these first few days in and and still love working with my students. Uh, I'm glad I was able to pick my uh, successor and be there to mentor him as he takes on uh, the, uh, the reins at Baker High School. Man, I love that so much. Um, I, I, just being able to hear that career and see it all, you know, seeing how successful you've been and just seeing the, the professional development, your your service that you're providing to this profession as a whole. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, Bishop Morris, what about you? <laughs> well, uh, started out at Winthrop University, got my bachelor's and master's degrees in music education from Winthrop, then went on to start teaching. I actually was starting teaching while I was doing my master's degree. Uh, to really make a funny story short, I uh, started as a graduate assistant at Winthrop, graduate conducting assistant, and then my former band director called because he had someone leave in the middle of the year. He, he gave me the opportunity of a lifetime to come to my alma mater to work under him, and which was fantastic. Uh, I just had to commute an hour and a half each day because I was living in Rock Hill. That, that got a little old in the fall and then uh, the rest of the fall, and then so I started kind of, you know, having to live with my parents a little bit and still do the graduate school thing and commute back and forth. But I got it. I got it. So I, I definitely learned the value of hard work uh, in education early on. Uh, then was able to teach in some different areas here in South Carolina uh, throughout my career, just being able to get different experiences. I've taught in mostly Title I schools uh, all the way through my career. Uh, just recently, I've had the, the blessed opportunity to be able to have my career come full circle and return to my alma mater uh, some years later and be able the to blessings shall come <laughs> for be able to continue to work 
uh, for the, the great community here in District 6 and Spartanburg Schools and, uh, you know, work with uh, another alumni of the program uh, to, to just continue to help build our program and continue to move it forward. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited to be able to share and give back. Uh, over the past six years, I've been doing things from conducting uh, at, at different region bands and, and all state band kind of stuff to now being able to do presentations uh, all over the country, literally now. And so I'm just very thankful for the opportunities I've had to be able to give back. Right now, I'm currently working on uh, my doctorate in professional leadership uh, with a music education emphasis at Converse Future College. Dr. Morris, yes. <laughs> uh, right here in Converse College here in Spartanburg. Uh, and it's given me the opportunity to not only get uh, my doctorate or pursue my doctorate, but also be able to continue to do research and give back to the music education field and hopefully impact my colleagues, my band director colleagues for years to come. I, I, I like that a lot. And I love that you said giving back. And I think it's pretty cool that the two of you actually taught at your alma mater. I know for me, you know, as a band director, you always want to go back to your alma mater and, you know, kind of keep the traditions going that you that you wanted to be. I was that person that was like, you know, once I leave Orangeburg, South Carolina, I'm out. But what what was it like, you know, taking over the program that, that is near and dear to your heart? How was it teaching at your, your alma mater? Man, it's it, it's it's something special indeed, uh, especially when you're, you've kind of been appointed that position from your director. Uh, and, and that's that's kind of how things happen for me. And in the initial stages, it was a it was definitely some huge shoes to fill uh, because the program at my alma mater had a, a long history of being a phenomenal band program. Uh, as concert band, jazz band, marching band, you know, the whole nine yards. And so, you know, even though I was not new to the field, being, you know, returning to that school and still being young, uh, it still came with a lot of pressures that you had to learn how to cut, that I had, that I had to learn, learn how to overcome. Uh, I think, you know, once I got past that first football game and then I got past that first, you know, uh, GMA festival, I think things kind of calmed down for me. But it was always good to be able to call uh, Mr. Smith and talk to him and ask for advice and to have that mentor, that mentor there uh, to always, you know, even today, I talk to him today, you know, so it's, it, it, he's always been there as a mentor. And then to have a faculty and administration at the school who understood the importance of the music program and supported fine arts wholeheartedly, that helped tremendously. Uh, so it wasn't a situation where I had to go in and quote unquote train the administrators because they already knew how important the program was to the community. So, you know, if I could say anything, you know, the one thing that I, I, I learned from my, my mentor was that you are an integral part of the community uh, when you come into a program like that. And any program, once you build it up, build, build it up to what you want it to be, even when you make those mistakes, they're still behind you. Uh, and they'll let you know. They'll, they'll say, "Hey, get on up. Let's do it again, and get right back into it." They won't allow you to fail, so that's huge. So, Will, you you talked a lot a bit about the, the importance of band in your community. Can you just explain to the listeners the importance of band in the in Atlanta? Because I call Atlanta the Black Band Mecca, especially for for public public schools. For me, it it it's, it was it's interesting because you know where I taught at. It was a lot of black kids, but I didn't have, you know, parents 
who had great jobs and could support the band program and uh, were there for the kids for every concert. And it, it's just a different vibe in in the in Atlanta area. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, sure. And it's been it's been that way for decades. And it looks differently. You know, it looks differently from when I was in school there to when I became the director there and to now as an alum that doesn't work there, it looks totally different. Each, each you know, sector is different. From affluent areas to non-affluent areas, band was important or it still is important in the metropolitan area. It's important to the community. Sometimes it may not look as important to uh, the district administrators when it comes to funding and stuff, but when it comes to <laughs> how important it is to mom, dad, and grandmama, and those who are depending upon that opportunity to play in the musical ensembles to pay for a future in college or to do the things they are because their father or their grandfather played in that band. You know, I, I got that early on. It wasn't just working at Maze, it was working at Booker T. Washington where I got that because Booker T. Washington was, was like the school for African-Americans in Atlanta. And so if you were anybody, and I mean, it's a school Martin Luther King went to. So, so if you were anybody, in the city of Atlanta, African-American, you went to Booker T. Washington, you know how much that school meant. But to have colleagues in other districts, you know, I was going to say parishes because that's where I, I live now, but in other, <laughs> in other districts that supported what you were doing, it, it was nothing for us to get together with, with people from DeKalb County or Cobb County or Fulton County, Fayette or Clayton, just to pick their brains on on the things that we can do. We don't do it as often as we used to, but however, technology has allowed us to do the things uh, that we couldn't do just, you know, a year ago uh, because we are able to go to these virtual conferences. We're able to do our hangouts, like listen up like you did earlier tonight uh, or and every Sunday, uh, Jack, that you put on. I appreciate you doing that uh, because it brings us together and picks allows us to pick each other's brains so that we can give our students our very best. And it gives us that network to really hone in on our craft uh, because we have to be lifelong learners in this. So in order for us to really keep that energy going and build communities that are appreciative like they were or still are in certain areas in Atlanta, we have to keep that going. So we push each other to do that. All right. And then coming back to, to Marcus, tell us about, you know, how it was for you teaching at your alma mater? Well, I tell you, the first time, it was overwhelming. It was it was numbing. Uh, being able again, I came in right at the end of the the fall, and it, it was it was a lot of change going on. A director left uh, then to go pursue a job in another part of the state. Here I am, you know, freshly in graduate school. So it was it was overwhelming. Uh, now coming back, it's more of a personal mission. It's it's to to continue to show our community how special our program is. To also continue to push the the program forward. Uh, our program is in a great state right now. We we have a lot of great things going on. However, uh, COVID has taught us, and and honestly, uh, you know, just will mention funding. There are a lot of things that. We, we could be doing that we just aren't able to for one reason or the other. And coming back now, I feel like it's really my, my mission to be able to, to show my colleagues, but also show our community that our program can still serve them, maybe even in different ways. Uh, yes, we're still doing, you know, we're giving great instruction, all that good stuff, and providing kids the best opportunity possible to perform. Uh, however, we are showing our students that there 
there is a life beyond music. We are having college professors come in, Zoom in to talk to them about everything from college scholarships to just what, what to do to prepare themselves for the next thing, whatever that is, whether it's an audition or whether it's just, you know, next year for our sophomores and juniors. And so just building them up as, as young, young people has been one of the missions that I've been on. And it's, it's, it's great. You know, now I've been able to take all my experiences I've gotten and pay it forward and teach these, uh, these wonderful students we've got and teach our community that our program is still viable, it's still alive, and we're just able to do so many things. Uh, the best part about it this time around is I'm working with an incredible team of, of directors that they, th we all have this one mission. It's all about the kids. Whatever's best for children is what we're gonna do. And uh, I love it, it's a, it's a really great atmosphere. This section is called Beyond the Practice Room and it's something non-music related I wanted to share. And today I wanna to talk to you about the inauguration. We're waiting four long years for this to happen, but it was such a beautiful sight and exactly what we needed. Didn't y'all just miss coherent speeches? And I'm just so happy for President Biden and our first woman, first black, first Asian American vice president, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris, as they call her, and Michelle Obama, Woo! that's my baby. Ignore that, Shonda. She stole the show. And I want to give a nice shout out to Amanda Gorman because my goodness, she really represented Black Girl Magic with her poem. And if you didn't get a chance to check out the We Are One featuring the seven H HBCU bands, it was such a great representation of our culture and all the bands killed it. Shout out to the Florida A&M Marching 100, Grambling State World Fame Marching Band, Jackson State Sonic Boom, the Louisiana Leadership Institute All-Star Marching Band, South Carolina State Marching 101, Go Orangeburg, Southern University Human Jukebox, and the Tennessee State University Aristocrats Band. If you haven't seen it, go ahead and check it out. I, I, I love that you said it's, it's all about the children because a lot of times in, in band director land, we forget that. And we make it all about the me and, instead of the we. And so... Um, they're done, they got the t-shirt. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that, I mean, that's, that's so cool. So now we, we're, we're in this different kind of life and we have COVID going on and everything's changing. And you may have, like I know Marcus, you have 100% of your kids or a lot of, you know, a good part of your band program is in person. And I will a good yeah. part of your program is is virtual. How are you guys handling this COVID life? This this whole this massive change in in everything that we know is true. Wow. Well, I, I'll tell you what, Doctor Herbert. I, I will. I'll speak from the 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 face to face version of what we're doing. We uh band is is doesn't look the same right now. We are twelve feet apart uh, when we're playing we are only playing for 30 minutes at a time in a particular room and we vacate that room for an hour. Uh, so that has caused our rehearsals and our rehearsal strategies to be very efficient. Uh, but what I also make sure I build into to our instruction uh, time after we play is uh, do something with so on the social emotional side of things. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about music and what we're studying, but I also want 
my students to be able to have a voice and to be able to express themselves. And because we felt that, you know, they, they're scared. They're very concerned, like, our, like all the adults are in the building. Uh, our students uh, in their quote-unquote regular classes where they sit down at a desk, they sit in a plexiglass enclosure somewhat all day long, okay? And everything that they are taught is to, is to of course, be socially distanced and all that good stuff. Well, in band, they're, they're out of this enclosure and they're able to, to turn and, and see someone, albeit six feet apart, and be able to speak <laughs> to them, you know, speak to them. And so I, we encourage that kind of stuff. We, we make sure that uh, the students in, our, in, the, in the Dorman Band program, as well as District 6, we, we treat the entire child and make sure that each day that we, we spoke to that child, okay, even, even in our largest classes, we try to make it a point if it's nothing but hello or goodbye, we speak directly to that child and try to engage them because this is, this is tough. This is not normal. And we let them know it's okay that this is not normal. It's okay to feel the way you feel, but we're going to use music as our, our tool to, to, to get better and to kind of move forward and to help heal and move forward. But we're also going to make sure that each day we try to do something to connect with them. I like that a lot, really. I mean, when you you're hitting the nail on the head with social emotional learning, that's it's huge right now, and you know, especially with the topic of tonight's discussion, that is definitely something that uh, they didn't you know immerse us in uh, when we were in music education classes, uh, when we were in our bachelor's stage, when we get a music education degree. Now, when we are you know now as we're going to professional developments and we're hearing more about you know the social emotional learning aspect of what we're doing as music educators. Yes, it is a it is a, a a wealth of knowledge out there that we need to to embrace so that we can give our students the very best we can for the whole student. Like you were saying, that's very important. Uh, another thing that uh, I tell you, teaching right now with my situation, you know, we have eighty five percent of our school that are, are virtual right now by choice. Wow, about fifteen percent in the school, which means for my band students, I only have six students in the building. Six out of a program of about 90. Uh, we have a small school, you know, 442 students, but still, you know, to only have six of your band students, it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, daunting when you have to deal with the fact that you can't do a lot of the playing and everything. However, uh, the technology thing has been real big. And so we, we're really blessed to have the opportunity, uh, Jack, to, to have smart music and breathing through theory and all these things using Nearpod, all of these things that we have to tap in to the students so that we can make sure they are actually being engaged in what we're doing. And then we have a program called School Days Wellbeing, where we're able to tap into what the students are feeling. So there's surveys that they have to take two or three times a week uh, so that we can see how they're actually doing. Uh, and we can kind of, you know, go back, touch on a few things or alter our lessons to where it includes things that may be able to help uh, the uh, affective side of what the child is doing. That is so cool. That that really is. Look at Baker High School. I like that a lot. So hey, we're, we're blessed to have, have people that were thinking forward, man. Oh yeah, that that you know, having administration that does that that makes that makes your job all all the easier. It's, it's so interesting hearing about you guys and your career and all the all the great things you guys are doing today. We're gonna we're, we're gonna talk about what the textbook didn't teach you, and we all know that like right now you guys are 
are super professional and you've had every experience thrown at you, you know, um, and, and you're, you're making it happen. So talking about what, what we're, what we've learned in our career, uh, that our textbooks didn't teach you. And I, I remember, you know, back in, back in undergrad, our teachers would always say, you know, we can get, we can give you the tools, but you really aren't going to learn it until you actually get out of there. I had a, a professor who was famous uh, for saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with any situation? His name was Dr. Kelly. And he'd be like, what are you going to do when you get a band with five bassoons, three bagpipes, and a tuba? What are you going to do? You know, basically what you're going to do is you're going to teach him. And so that's kind of what we're, we're going we're gonna to dive in today and talk about. So the first thing I want you guys to think about is what's one thing you learned in school that didn't work with your students? Now, for me, that thing that, that I, I, I'll never forget the day one, there's like, you know, don't tell your kids to shut up. Don't tell your kids to, you know, tell your kids to be quiet and make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you have a fast paced lesson so you can keep the discipline going and blah, 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 blah. And I still remember my first day, I'm like, all right, guys, be quiet, be quiet. And they looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, you, who is this little person telling us to be quiet? Whatever. We, we, and they just, they kept on. And, and so this, uh, after school, this one parent came by and she was like, if you don't shut your monkey, blah, blah, blah. And she was just talking to her son, all flip at the mouth. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is where I am. So to them, be quiet didn't mean anything. And so I had to like, I had to learn a different vernacular, change, change my way of talking to them so we could have an understanding of each other and they can, they can. The, the original code switch. <laughs> yes. That's right. The original code switch. <laughs> so what's one thing that did that, that, that kind of opened your eyes when you were a teacher? I think initially, um, the one thing that opened my eyes was that everything is not going to be perfect. You're not going to get the exact instrumentation for this or that and the other. You're not mm. going to get the best players. You're not going to just be able to go stand on the podium and wave your arms. You got to roll up your sleeves and work. You got to put in some time. Um, I think understanding that early in the game helped me. Uh, it also helped me to, to understand that there's no limit to asking for help. At any time, you got to ask for help. And, you know, at, at first I was not into that because I wanted to, wanted the students, myself and my colleagues to think that I can get it done. But when there were things that I, where I did have deficits, it made more sense to me to, to finally go and ask for the help in that area. You know, now I can do things with clarinet students that I couldn't do my first two years. I was a trumpet player. You know, you know, now I can, I can tell an oboe player how I want this sound and even how to get that sound when I couldn't do that my first year. Uh, you know, I specifically remember uh, my interview with Don Roberts and he was asking me questions about the clarinet and I couldn't answer it. But the thing that I did say that, hey, I'm gonna find out the answer and, yes. and, 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 and then, you know, be able to do it. And all he kept telling me during my tenure in DeKalb County was, as long as I see growth, I know you're doing all right. And even when I came back to work in Atlanta public schools, he would still come to my performances and say, we're still growing, you know, you, you, you're, you're getting there, you're doing, you're doing what you need to do. And so that's, that's the camaraderie that I was talking about earlier that continues to push us along. 
Uh, it's the same group of people we talk to every day or, or you know, just through social media now. That's what keeps us going. And so we've got to ask for help from our colleagues. Those who know better will help you be better. So, Will, just r- real quick, who's this Don Roberts you keep talking about? He's a coordinator of fine arts uh, and instrumental music during that time in DeKalb County, the former director of bands at, at Southwest DeKalb High School and the architect of what DeKalb County has become uh, in terms of music education. Love it. Love it. He's a, ju- just a great human being uh, as well. Absolutely. Marcus, what about you? For me, <laughs> learning that you can't get it all done in one rehearsal or one day, and you got to learn to prioritize. You got to learn to be able to say, okay, there's some things I'm going to have to put aside to the next day or the next rehearsal because no matter how great your lesson plan is, how, how well, you know, how great you spent, you know, how much time you spent on it. And, you know, you did all these uh, rubrics and things and like none of that matters once you, you get into that rehearsal and you roll up your sleeves, like Dr. Irvin said, and you get to teach it. So you, you can't get it all done. So you got to be able to prioritize and you got to be able to make sure that you're, like you guys just said, you're growing. You're still growing. You're still moving forward. You're still doing things to help the kids grow. But you, you've got to learn to prioritize because you're not, you're just not going to get it all done. So how, how did you learn to prioritize and get your students to want to grow? Well, twofold. First of all, with prioritizing, I had to really change the way I, I did lesson plans. Uh, thankfully, going to Winthrop, where our our state's center for educator recruitment is so i felt extremely prepared as an educator and a music educator uh i had to go back into my toolbox and figure out okay i can't plan like this because this this i had too much detail too much detail in the plan uh where i needed to have some some plan a and plan b and plan c for different teaching different techniques and so that was the first side of things just learning to prioritize today i need to get us from a to b and here's some ways I can do that. And, and if this happens, I can go this way and that way. For my students, I had to sh- I had to really set short attainable goals for them and then celebrate those. And then continue to dangle the carrot and say, hey, this is great. Here's where we're going. And here's, you know, we could experience this success, but we've got so much success waiting on us down the road. So let's keep moving, keep moving forward. And so Man. it just, you know, it, it became it became a a train that just kept going down the track. And eventually, it all I had to do was just make sure each day that we were still rolling. That it, it eventually fed itself. That's huge, Mark. Because I, I, I keep thinking. I'm thinking right now as you start talking about how you were doing your lesson plans and how you, uh, you know, approached your rehearsals. The day I remember, the day it came to me, and I realized that you're not going to get through a whole song every day. <laughs> That's when, you know, the light kind of went off. Okay, yeah. let's break this thing down to let's work on this particular, maybe two or three measures and hope that they understand that you had to retain that information and then transfer that information to other sections and multiple pieces of music. Uh, so once you get that, you know, and they get that understanding, then I think the students, like you were saying, Jack, how they get to buy in, they start to buy in when they see that you're being uh, meticulous in your efforts to get things done. And I also think that they are going to buy in once you once you expose them to how it's supposed to be done. Uh, and I'm big on that. You know, I'm big on taking students to other schools for rehearsals or to universities to see how they rehearse or watching videos to see how things are done. 
and definitely bringing other people in to see how rehearsals are managed. Those are those are huge things. I think those are the things that began to take uh, each program program I've been at to another level. Uh, so not being afraid to bring people in is huge, and that's what got kids by in, and, and it kept the kids from being afraid to do those things like audition for district on a band in Austin. I, I like how you talk about buy-in, and I know for me, the kids that I taught definitely, I had to kind of, I'll say, trick them to get that, that to get that buy-in. And Absolutely. I know you're, you're talking about the whole trips. I would take my kids everywhere. Like somebody's having a concert down the street, let's go. And they didn't know they were they were going to listen to to you know bands play with good tone and good sound and this is the band that we wanted them to be, but we had to like trick them to get them to, to buy into the philosophy that you wanted for your program. How did you like, how did y'all get your kids to actually buy into what, what you wanted them to do? Well, first, before, like, I guess the first part of the question was answer, like, how do you know you need them to buy into it, to your philosophy? And then how do you get them to? I think initially when you listen to the conversation they're having when they're around you, and, and you listen to how they approach playing the instrument when you first, you know, move into a program or if you if a student transfers into a program or if they are just starting to play the instrument uh, and you see that they're not quite doing things the way you would want them to do or the way they should be done. Then there's there's an opportunity there for growth. It's an opportunity for us to be able to guide them to the way it's supposed to be done. Once the students realize that I'll give you a little bit of what you want if you do all of what I need you to do. You know, it's a give and take type thing. You know, it was nothing. You know, I know the kids like to take field trips. So it was nothing for me to say, okay, y'all want to go over there with five guys and Chipotle and uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, all that. Yeah, you talking about over by LSU? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going go, to go over there uh, and we're going to go over there uh, at about five o'clock. But at six o'clock, we're going to go over to the Union Theater for their concert. And then, you know, there's a field trip. They get to go to the restaurant they want to go to. But initially, the first sound that, that, that the Wind Ensemble or the Wind Symphony or the Symphony Band plays at LSU, they immediately get what I'm talking about. Man, my horn's supposed to sound like that? Oh, wow, did you hear them do that? And then it becomes a different kind of conversation on the bus ride home and a different kind of conversation in the band room uh, the next few days. And then you start to hear them do some of the things that you want them to do to get better. There's nothing better than seeing my students run to the stage to talk to those people that were in the ensembles at LSU to ask questions. You know, every concert that we would go to, they would go ask questions. And so I know then they would start to, to develop buy-in. And so that's when we started to turn the corner. Yeah, absolutely. For us, it's, uh, it's seeing how they conduct business. You know, you're, how, how do your kids come into the band room? How do your kids, you know, do they, at the end of the day, are those lockers or are, are those band, you know, lockers or in the locker room, is it empty? Is it half empty or is it full? You know, do, are they taking their instruments home? You know, if they may not be able to take them home, are they, are they doing something each day to, to, to review and to just kind of re-energize what they've done for the day in your music class and so that they're ready for the next day? Uh, and again, same way, travel. Uh, I've, I've taken groups, uh, on, on several trips to, to different places, not, not only just around town, but also uh, taking them on, on trips to, I've taken a group to Hawaii twice. I've taken a group on a cruise to the Bahamas. And these are all from, from Title I uh, poverty level areas 
that we just have to get them to understand that there are experiences outside of this area. And if we work hard, we, we raise the funds, we, we, we do the work, you can go to these other places and play at Pearl Harbor or, or play on, on the deck of a cruise ship and be able to say, hey, I, I was able to do this because of the hard work I put in initially. So, again, it goes back to how do we conduct business? You know, if, if, if we're going to come in and just kind of treat this like it's just, you know, just a hobby, then we've got to say, hey, you can act like that. You could treat it like that. However, if you're a little bit more serious about your instrument or about your craft, look where you can go. Look what you can do. Oh, man, when they when the students get serious, I mean, some of the same experiences, man. You know, Florida a couple of times, you know, Dallas, New York, play Carnegie Hall, all these things from a Title I school. But once they got once they got that buy in and you start to see those instrument cases out of the band room at the end of the day and you start to see people meeting you at the school 30 minutes before school starts for them to practice or coming in the band room during their lunch period rather than being in the cafeteria. All those things are evidence of buy in. Those are the things that, you know, I mean, come on. You know, Jack, you had a chance to come and work with the band last year and, you know, we got through rehearsing. We ate some food. Rehearse some more. Then we had a, then we had a space tournament. I mean, it's yeah. you know <laughs> we do a lock in every year for symphonic band, and it's not necessarily a symphonic band camp because we don't have the resources to do it that long. But we do a from when school ends until midnight, and you know, or nine o'clock depends on what who all comes in, and we're just there, and they got food. The parents bring in food, play space, rehearse, 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 play space. You know, and it was fun, but that's the work that they got to put in. To get to the next level, that's awesome. And yeah, that's they don't awesome. teach it. They don't teach you that in the textbooks either. <laughs> exactly. And so you know, so, some things I, I've been hearing is one, you, you. It sounds like you have such a, a, a different kind of relationship with your student. And one thing I noticed with me, like my kids were my children. Like they, they were more than kids, and, and it's it's still like that to this day. And one thing I noticed from I'll say teaching in in a I'll say quote unquote normal school is that you don't have necessarily those strong ties because like the class schedule may be perfect. So they may not need to rehearse. They may not need to, you know, go and do 15 fundraisers and, and build those bonds. And so how how do you as a teacher, like how do you figure out you know, I, I need to spend this a little bit more time with my kids or I need I need us to have just, you know, one more or a hundred more rehearsals for us, us to get it done. How do you like figure those things out? That comes from knowing your kids, from building relationships with, with your students, getting to know them, you know, not just, hey, there's Johnny, the, the, the trumpet player, but that's that's, you know, John Smith and. Uh, I know a little bit about him, where where he lives, his area, maybe the middle school he came from, and a little bit about, you know, what he enjoys to do. And also, you know, do a little research on your own to just learn a little bit more about, about him as a student. And once you have established those relationships with students, then you're able to understand them a little bit better and to know or be able to sense what, what they need. Uh, you you know, you know, after after a little while, uh, if your band needs to be pushed a little bit, little bit more, or maybe you need to get off the gas pedal a little bit and maybe go in a different direction. It all comes from those relationships with your students and getting to know them. 
And again, that's something not necessarily that's taught in those textbooks. I, I would even dare say, Marcus, you, you, you need to know a little bit, but once you got that grasp that concept of who your student is, you all, you kind of need to do some recognizance on who his family is. Uh, because then that's that's how you're gonna get the the buy-in of the family. That's Hallelujah. what's gonna that's what's going to release them to say, oh, yeah, we understand you got to do these rehearsals or, yeah, we'll bring the food to feed the kids at the end of this rehearsal. Or do you need somebody to drive the trailer to this extra rehearsal or whatever it happens? It's, it's, a, it's a holistic thing. Once you get the child to buy in and the parents see that you're doing what's in the best interest of their child, they're going to do what's in the best interest of you. Uh, so and, and then that makes things easier for the director to then uh, build upon and, and establish and sustain a good booster program because there's been some you know, fidelity there. Everybody knows it's gonna be all right because everybody understands each other. I guess that means it's time to go band. This section talks about something I'm listening to that I think you should check out or something exceptional happening in the band world. Today, I want to give a shout out and congratulations to the Yamaha 40 Under 40 Award winners. Yamaha celebrated 40 of the most impactful music educators under the age of 40. Yamaha says the program celebrates outstanding music educators who are making a difference by growing and strengthening their music programs. I want to give a shout out to my friends and associates, Willie Snipes Jr. out of Miles College and Eric Jimenez out of Prairie View A&M University. If you have a go band you'd like me to shout out, tag at bandroomtales on Twitter or email me at bandroomtales at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. And, and so what's one or two things you did to encourage your parents to like want to be a part of the Booster Association? For me, it took everything because I, I had the different kinds of parents. I had the parents who worked three jobs, who loved the band and they wanted to be there for the band, but they couldn't. They were the parents who worked zero jobs and could care less about the band. Um, and so I, I had to, like you said, figure out ways to to make them at least see the good of, of what we're doing for their students, because it, it was the toughest thing, especially, you know, like you said, you guys travel. And if if you're taking a trip that might cost six hundred dollars, eight hundred dollars, a thousand dollars and you know they don't have it. But you got you have to like encourage them, or you have to get them to want to raise the funds because they won't get it from the parents. Like how how do you how do you get that parent buy in? Like what what is one or two things that specifically that you did to that helped you? One I would say exposure. Just like we expose the students, you have to expose the parents to better than, uh, so they won't just consider things consider things to be okay when they're as good as. Mm. You want them to be. You want your students and your boosters to be better than. Uh, that's something I picked up along the way uh, from from the directors that I've followed and that I've watched. Uh, once you got that that exposure, then you just got to treat the parents with respect uh, and, and show them that they are special too. So there's certain events that I just have just for parents, you know, where where you know it's the direct, it's the staff and the parents, uh, especially when I was in Atlanta. I mean. We took care of each other. When every when every uniform was put up and every case was put up at the end of the football game, then it was it was common knowledge that the band staff and all the parents that wanted to come were gonna meet at Applebee's. Every game. And and then they that's how you had the buy-in. Then you knew everybody was going to they were there for you no matter what. 
Uh, even today, I still talk to all those parents. We still we still communicate, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. We're still together, even on phone, and especially during the holidays, because we all had the buy-in for those children. When those students from way back then are doing well now as doctors and lawyers and everything, those parents, they're gonna the first thing they're gonna do is tell me and send me you know, wedding yeah. invitations and things mm-hmm. like that because we were a valued part of their family. Once you become a part of the family, then, you know, they're going to they're gonna go the extra mile for you. They're going to raise that money. I mean, we only had to take 50 students to New York. That's all we had to take to be on, Carne- on stage at Carnegie Hall. But we took 110 on, people. On, on stage where? At Carnegie Hall. Yeah, you, that's all. It's okay, Jack. <laughs> but look, we took Me? 110 people. 110 people. And most of those were parents. That's- yeah. And believe it or not, most of them had not been on a plane before. So this was exposure for not only their student, but for them. So to be in Times Square and to see these students, these parents walking around with these red, white, and black scarves on, you know, just so I can know where they were <laughs> at all times, it was amazing because this was one of those moments that they will never forget for their entire lives. And band did that for them. Absolutely, absolutely. I love how you talked about uh, really valuing those parents, making them feel valued, making them feel as uh, a, you know viable part of your program and a part of the process to their uh, success. Uh, the other thing for me, uh, other point for me is to make meet them where they are. Uh, you know, sometimes parents may not want to get out of the car when they're picking up little Johnny, but sometimes you, you just walk over and introduce yourself or say hello. Hey, he did great today. You start building those relationships with those parents, and then. Uh, they'll start to come out the car to pick up little Johnny or, or little Susie. And, and then they'll start to hang out a little bit at the end of rehearsal and check out what's going on and just make them feel valued, make them feel welcome. And then the last thing, meeting them where they are, making your booster club meetings or events uh, more of a social thing and make it accessible to them. You know, Dr. Irvin talked about feeding them and, you know, providing a service for them, doing things so that, if they're getting off of work at five o'clock, you know, traveling however long to get to, to your school to pick up their student or to make this meeting, why don't you feed them, feed them some dinner uh, or, or make the, you know, prior to COVID and, and the world of Zoom and everything, uh, make the meeting accessible. Let them call into a number to listen to the meeting or FaceTime in or whatever, Skype in, whatever, so they can they can literally attend the meeting, but still maybe be cooking dinner or attending to their their spouses or, or their other children, anything, making it accessible. They see that you're doing whatever you can to meet them where they are. They're going to feel valued and want to do more to, to help you along the way. Absolutely. So, so, so basically you're saying it was DJ Marcus at club booster meeting. <laughs> I mean, some, you know, sometimes it got to be that way. Sometimes, sometimes it's like that. Hey, ain't nothing wrong with playing a little, little music at the beginning. You know, they're walking in. It's a it's a band, you know. It's a booster club meeting. We are gonna have a little music, oh, yeah. a little feel good music, and put them at ease. No, oh, yeah. I, I I I totally feel that, and I think in order for you to you know make it happen in your program, those boosters are super important. And I noticed like you guys are talking about going to Pearl Harbor and you know playing at Carnegie Hall. That costs a lot of money, a lot of money, and so oh yes, how? how did you make it work? Because I know for me, you know, at a, at a neighboring school that was seven minutes down the road, 
they could sell the same candy and make $50,000 on that fundraiser. And I might make one grand or $1,500. Um, and so like the, the typical fund, the typical fundraisers might not have worked. Like what did you do to make that work for your programs? Because I know you, you have to like dig deep to find the best things for your programs. Well, that's, that, that comes from knowing your community and, and knowing that you got to be able to think outside the box. Uh, for me to be able to, to, to take Lauren's high school where uh, I, I worked with some other colleagues uh, and we, we are affectionately known as the Four Horsemen, we, we all worked together so that we could do something for these kids that was extraordinary. We had to know the community. We weren't going to get it from selling candy bars and, and fruit. We needed to be able to galvanize our community and make it make it a big event like we're sending the band to Pearl Harbor, sending the band to perform in Hawaii. And so, it, you know, we reached out to do corporate sponsorships and, and, and ads and, and all these kinds of things so that we made it a community event. And then we publicized it. We, we, we made sure that they knew, hey, here we are. You know, we took some pictures, you know, getting on the plane. Here we are uh, in Hawaii with, uh, you know, their, their school logo and all this other stuff. We really made it a big thing. We gave back to the community so they could celebrate that they helped us get there. And so that's what you got to do. You got to galvanize your community and reach outside uh, and think outside the box. Now, that is absolutely the truth. And that's not going to be in a, in a band methods book. That's going to probably be in a business and marketing book, if you will. You know, and that's, <laughs> and that, and that's where they got to kind of point you to. When as a band director as well, it, it wouldn't hurt if we had a business class, you know, just to kind of a fundraising class, a marketing class, because that's what we have, those are the things that we have to do that they don't always talk about. But to get that money up, I mean, I, I mean, I, in transparency, I mean, people, it's, it's public knowledge. I mean, one hundred twenty eight thousand dollars it took us to go to, to, to New York. And that was unheard of for a Title One school. I mean, 100 percent free reduced lunch. I mean, when I tell you the amount of fundraisers we had to pull off to make that happen. You know, we, yes, the kids had to pay a, a good portion of it, uh, but the the school district paid, uh, and we're thankful for that. They paid a good amount of money uh, to help us out. And then we did uh, concerts. We did uh, a huge uh, fish plate dinner thing that was for the whole metropolitan area. And, you know, the, the Lions Club. Y'all better uh, for, do that fish fry. The Lions yeah. Club did a, a, a a, a fish plate dinner in conjunction with the, with the school system. And man, I mean, we made almost 10, 15,000 off of fish. <laughs> so it's knowing your community, knowing what the community will share in. And then once they start to see that we weren't just talking big, that we were actually doing it, they see that we we're getting close to it. And then they see it on TV when they come and interview and say, hey, they're getting ready to go in about a month and they're 10,000 away. And then you start to see more checks come in. And you know, that, those, those are the things you have to do to make it happen for not just, you know, your students, but for the city that you represent, for the state that you represent, because that was huge for all involved. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And so it was like really, really cool to see all the news outlets talking about everything you had going on and seeing all the pictures of, 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 of the concert and just how, how proud it made you. And, you know, I wasn't going to let, let it slip by that, they had a, a freaking billboard of Will in 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 his town, like one of him and one of the band. And wow. so, 
that that just tells you how much they appreciate and love what you've done. And because you've done so much for your community, they had your back when it came to anything. And so that's kind of what we all need to aspire, aspire in our programs. And so we've, we've talked a lot about the, the business part. Well, let's talk about like going, uh, some things going into the classroom. A big thing for me was always classroom management. And I was, my kids would call me uh, the dictator and they would call me bipolar because it, it went, in one instance, I was like getting on them super bad. In the other instance, I was cracking jokes and talking about their mamas. I always talked about their mamas. Um, I still do to this day. But what was your approach to classroom management and how is it diff different uh, than you were taught in school? Because I know a, a, a lot of times the classroom management things that we learn in class didn't necessarily resonate with the students that I taught. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> I was thinking about my classroom management class that I took versus what I experienced in the classroom. Total polar opposites. <laughs> I, I would say ditto to who you were, Jack. That's kind of who I was and who I, I, who I am, actually. You know, even now, uh, you know, just finishing up with Baker over the last few weeks, I'm the same way. You know, I could be, this is not a, you know, democracy, this is dictatorship, uh, and then quickly go into, man, what's that you got on? You know, you know <laughs> it could be... <laughs> It could be, you know, anything to break the ice or the monotony. But but when it comes down to it, I think what what we have to remember and what I was not taught as much of back in school that I learned in professional developments all over the world now is that if you start to teach artistry at an early stage, then the students will begin to understand the importance of how you come into the room, what you do when you come to the room, the warm-up regiment, what we're going to attack, what the agenda is on the board, what we're going to do, what we have to tackle for this day. And they will begin to appreciate whether we have attained that task or whether we still have to move forward and do some more work to get to it. Uh, so that's, that, that became a part of how the classroom is managed. The, the students became the managers because they were a part of the process of developing the rules and implementing them. Uh, and and they don't they never you know felt bad about telling me when I slipped on some of them, and that's fine because the ownership is there and they've taken a part of it. So you know that that's every program from Avondale to Baker has uh, been that same way. But teaching artistry, which is something I, I started really starting to you know really get into, I think maybe my second or third year of teaching in, 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 at Mays. That's that's kind of what you have to really. Uh, get into. I didn't, I didn't have a situation where a lot of people were taking private lessons and all that kind of stuff. I had a heck of a feeder program in, uh, in, in uh, Professor Robert Jeffrey at Gene Child's Young Middle School. I mean, he was sending some monster kids that were able to play level five, six literature as ninth graders. And, wow. and so it was my job to take them to the next level because they were already above where some of the freshmen and the sophomore would have been if they didn't come through his program. So it was it was my job to expose them to things beyond even what I could do so that they can help me uh, with the management of the class. We never really had any, I mean, I think in my 18 years in the classroom, I would, I would dare say I may have had one scuffle in the classroom, one argument, 
And that was not in the band class. That was in music appreciation class. So, so because the, the band students had a different kind of, they had ownership over, over the area and the, the program. So they weren't going to let anything happen like that. And, that. and that just goes into what music education does for us as a whole. It gives us a sense of discipline. It provides us with a, a means to be expressive so that we don't have to be that way. Uh, and so I think students take uh, take a hold of that. And I think they're more productive as citizens and in academics because of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, uh, it's it's more it's just having having the ability to get them to understand that we what we run is a purpose driven program. Uh, we the power of why is really big with just us getting the, our kids to understand. Here's why we're doing this. We, you know, yeah, we've got the concerts, we've got the performances, but we want you to understand what we're doing this for. And so being a purpose-driven program has helped with classroom management. We, they, kids know, well, here's why I ask you to come in the band room a certain way and, and why that we need to set up a certain way and, and how we conduct business has to be a certain way for us to function and to be able to be effective with our our goals for the Man, day. you you preaching, Marcus. You preaching. I mean, it even comes down to how what, what the students have on, too. You know, preaching. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So for us, it's just keeping them understanding, hey, this is where we're headed. This is why we're doing this. And yeah, if you if you fall short, okay, we got it. We got consequences, but let's keep let's keep moving in the in the right direction. And that's for for me, that's been the best thing for classroom management. It's yeah. just uh, having them to understand what the purpose is, what's, what it's for. Early in my career, I didn't quite understand that. I really didn't. And when a kid would say, why are we doing this? And I would say, because I told you so, or because it's what you're supposed to do, or because it's in the book. But I had to grow and mature and, and, and be around other directors and other programs and, and understand that uh, for me to, to get my kids to do what I need them to do for us to have a productive rehearsal, it's, it's got to be all about the purpose. Man, it's, it's it's something else, man. You man, that's shoot. But I have a brother shouting over here. I know. I I put Aya in the chat because you was you was you was about to get the whole Purpose holy driven. oy out. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's story time. In this segment, we'll talk about some of the most interesting and crazy stories that have happened to me in my career. From fitting too many people in my car to having my band students perform a football game after a football game, you don't want to miss this segment. I don't know about Juicy, uh, but it was uh, the first time I left a kid uh, on a band trip. Uh, that I had a, I, I am notorious for leaving on time. And this child uh, felt that he or she uh, was entitled to not be left. However, Mr. Morris' time is being on time and before time. And so this child also played tuba, and this was the only tuba I had going on the trip. <laughs> and, and so you, we, we as music educators know how important that child was. But I, I was going to be, I was going to be right and about being on time. So we were traveling uh, two and a half hours away to perform. Let's just say that that child learned a very important lesson and so did that child's parent. That child and their parent were meeting the buses as we were pulling in to our performance area. And that was the first time I left a child, but it was also the first time I ever had a parent apologize to me, which was pretty cool. Cause I was expecting to get cussed out. So, <laughs> it, but it, it was cool. It, and so it was just, 
it's not necessarily funny, but it was, again, I was expecting to get cussed out. And I, I, that was the first time a parent actually apologized. Well, I'm glad you segued into cussing because uh, that's probably what my funny story is. <laughs> 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 you know, I, I, I guess, you know, when I was in my prime, I'm way out of that now. You know, I used to do all kind of crazy stuff. And when I was getting 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 it in, and, and we were in the middle of rehearsal out there on bullhorn, man, I was liable to say anything. And it was, one time, the students were trying to, you know, let me know that there was a ministry behind me. And I just, I looked back, and I just kept cussing. I don't care the ministry behind me. Y'all gonna get this right today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, ministry, now you know you can't do that. Da, 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 da. Yeah, we got what well, he said, but it looked good. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, we, we we've done some crazy things, man. I've done, I've said, done crazy things, and uh, I'm just blessed. I'm still, you know, still here, 18, 19 years later, doing it. That is right. They don't teach you that in the textbook either, so don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that at all. Don't do it at all. Times have changed, people. Times have changed. I also want to share a story from one of our listeners, Cornelius Young. Thanks for sharing this. He was teaching in Louisville, Mississippi at the time. He says, this was the 2007-8 year and I had a student who we would call Brandy in the seventh grade. Brandy was kind of an awkward kid socially and one time even followed me around Walmart until her grandmother told her to stop chasing that band director around the stove. Store for uh, you all who might not understand Southern speak. So it was emphasized to all teachers who taught Brandy that she had IBS. I had no idea what that was and never even asked. Usually when my students tried to go to the restroom, I said no, as I saw this as them wanting to walk the halls. Well, Brandy needed to go. She needed to go so bad that she kept interrupting class. Finally, I let her go. Well, about two minutes later, Brandy peeked around the corner of the door and said she needed to tell me something. I was deep in the middle of rehearsal and ignored her. Another minute, she said really loud, Mr. Young, I really need to tell you something. I asked my colleague to take over. At this point, I was really angry. I stepped off the podium and Brandy had her back to the wall. Well, what do you need to tell me? You've interrupted me several times today. She says she needs to call her grandmother for new clothes and she turns around. She'd worn khakis that day and you could see a yellowish green brown wet patch on her backside. I was flabbergasted. I asked my colleague, Ms. Rowland, to come out. She came out and her jaw dropped. Classes were about to change, um, so he went back to teach a seventh grade band. Luckily, the hallway wasn't being used, and his colleague found an old jacket that was in the band room, lost and found. The grandmother was not happy when she found out, and the counselor relayed that information to me. The next day, we created a signal, the peace sign, if Brandy needed to go. And if she raised those two fingers, I let her go. From now on, if I found out that I have a student with irritable bowel syndrome, I make sure to make a signal with them two fingers if you have your own crazy story you'd like to share tag us on facebook or twitter at bandroom tales or you can email us at bandroomtales at gmail.com And so y'all talked about the purpose driven and the ownership. Like if, what is one thing you could do to say, like you, you got your kids to have ownership in your program. For me, 
I think the the thing that, that that I did to kind of set them up for their success was to cherish the band room. Dr. Julian White, he's a FAMU emeritus professor. He would say the band room has to be in tune, like everything has to be in its place. And I, I think for me, the kids had to learn how to cherish the band room, cherish their instruments, cherish their chairs, make sure it was in order, no trash on the floor. What about you? What was one thing that, that you thought was important for them to have, to have ownership in your program? Shoot, the same thing. The room had to be on point. The room had to be on point. And I think the management piece from the student aspect had to be on point. You know, if I had to take a day off or whatever it was, and it wasn't that many of them, or if it was a professional development, class went on whether I was there or not. That's right. Yeah. Like, and substitute teachers in every district I've ever taught at were, were happy to take the band class when I wasn't there because they knew all they had to do was take attendance and everything else was going to be just like I was standing right there. Uh, and, and I think that's the ownership part of it that the students took upon themselves to make sure that you're not going to do certain things in this room, whether Mr. Irvin is not. You know, you, you're just not going to do that. And mm. they're going to protect each other and they're going to protect the room. They're going to protect that hallway. And it became it became one of those things where, you know, <laughs> I tell this story, man, it's hilarious. There uh, on one of my planning periods, I happened to be in my office and somebody ran through the band room. Stole my laptop, ran out the back door, and was gone. Wow. So, you know, of course, I reported it, this and the other. And my drum majors had just come in the next class. They're like, what's wrong, Mr. Earth? I said, somebody stole my laptop. So <laughs> they sent out a text message to the whole band. Irving laptop gone. Before I knew it, the whole band is out in Southwest Atlanta looking for my laptop. <laughs> wow. We got the laptop back within 30 minutes of it being stolen. That's it. Wow. And, you know, you, you don't encourage the students to do that kind of stuff, but that showed the love they had for the program and for me. That's right. And so they have that, that ownership. Yeah. For me, it's, it's seeing uh, how my students get off the bus when we are either going to a game or we're going to perform at concert assessments oh, yeah. or we're just getting, you know, we're, we're taking a trip somewhere and then we might stop at a mall. How do they get off the bus? How do they represent our, our school and community, and, and how do they represent me? That's it. And, and, and if I can do, if, I, if they can get off the bus without me having to prompt them much and they, they conduct themselves in a, in a good business uh, fashion, then I know they, they've bought in. I know they've got ownership. I know that they're, they're in this for the right reasons. Man, Marcus, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, this another quick one that's kind of funny. When we were in New York, uh, we, were, we were on time down in the, at, in the hotel lobby waiting on the buses to come get us to take us to the, to the hall. So we're just sitting there and the bus is late. The bus is extremely late, y'all, to get us to the biggest performance that the school has ever done. And so without prompting any students, they are in this lobby of the hills in, in Times Square with their mouth, brasses have taken their mouthpieces out. And man, I'm starting to hear the music. They're buzzing all their pieces and everybody's doing everything out. And, you know, uh, Kelvin Jones and Yati Shabazz, all the guys, they're like, do y'all hear this? And I'm like, yeah. The bus has come up. Everybody's getting in on the bus. The bus missed the hall two times, y'all. The turn to go to the hall. Oh, so my we're God. Even more... <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're even more late, man. When I tell you, when I tell them, and, and Shabazz talks about it, they said, man, how, how are you so calm? I was ready to ring the bus driver's neck. You know, what's going on? I said, man, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. So we get to the hall, and it's 15 minutes before performance. We were supposed to have an hour in the warm room. 
course. It's 15 minutes for a performance. We get into one more room, and in about 30 seconds, man, everything's locked. We pull out the Tonal Energy app, everything locks, everything gets going. And because they were buzzing and everything already, because they took that ownership, because they love what they do, they were ready to take on what we had to take on. And they, and they did well. But guess what? If they did not have that ownership, if they did not have the wherewithal to start buzzing, if they did not have their mindset on what was going on, or if they did not care about what we were doing there, then they wouldn't, we would not have been successful. So that's, that's students buying in to what they want to be great. It's all about your teaching. So the next thing is, I want you to give me two things, um, pet, one pedagogical and one other thing that you wish they taught you in college. So that's two things that you wish they taught you in college. One thing, one other thing, I wish they had taught me the power of people. Understanding that networking was, is something that's central to my development as, a, as an educator and as a professional but also something that's gonna be important. My networking is important for my students because I'm gonna learn things from these people that are gonna benefit my students. I wish they had taught me the power of people, the power of understanding that you, you need to know that you've got to treat the, the custodian with the same respect and admiration as you do your principal. And, mm. and, 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 and even those, those are some of the things that I was taught just in the church and, and growing up, but it was never in those textbooks. And on, again, the power of people knowing that uh, when you're doing those fruit fundraisers or whatever have you, set something aside for that guidance counselor because you're going to come back to them and you're going to need them to help you with some scheduling stuff to get these kids in these classes. So that, that would be my one other thing that I wish they taught. And um, honestly, uh, and pedagogically, I think that I would love to have been able to spend more time doing real deep diving into score study. Uh, I've done more, I did more score study as a graduate assistant and even in, in your sessions, in your listen up sessions, Jack, than I did in my undergrad career. And I really wish I had more time to be able to do it then. Uh, ditto on both of those. Social capital is huge, man. And score, st score study is definitely great. I think if I had to choose something uh, my other, I'll start with my other, and my other would be the politics of man. Mm. Giving you a little bit more insight on the politics of man and, and not necessarily, I'm not talking about legislative stuff or adv advocating for your program down to, down to the state capitol. It's that and some. It's uh, advocating for uh, funding. It, it is knowing who to talk to for, for philanthropy, uh, aspects where you can get some monies for, for different things, how to, uh, how to get your parents involved in a healthy situation where, it does, where your administrators don't feel like they're being attacked. Mm. Uh, mm. Uh, that's, that is, that's huge. And I think also uh, developing that relationship with a principal where you're, you're there to help and not hinder. You're not always asking for something and, that, and they are not running from you when they see you coming, coming their way that they're actually glad to see you and mm -hmm. you don't mind taking a cafeteria duty away from them just so they can go to the office and do something. So they'll remember that and be ready to help you uh, when, when it's time for, for something that you really need. Absolutely. Uh, mm, I, mean, I, I hope people got their Bibles with them because they, they, <laughs> they're receiving blessings tonight. This is awesome. <laughs> and and I, I think the pedagogical thing would be if I had known then what I know now about just and pure intonation. Uh, 
I think I would have grasped a lot of a lot of sound concepts sooner and would have been able to, to have better sounding ensembles when it comes to tuning. You know, you know, I've gotten away. It's been it's been about five, six years since I walk around the room with a tuner. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of gone because now let's going back to the artistry thing. We're building the students oral abilities to be able to hear uh, within their sections, within their ensemble. And uh, and use utilize the tonal app, uh, tonal energy app, as well as uh, the, the harmony director. Those are things that we never even thought about when I was in school, uh, bachelor's or master's. So now that I've learned these things from professional developments, I think you know if I if I look back, if students are learning this thing now in bachelor's, they're going to be way better than we were when when we came out. But we got to make sure that they're at least opening those 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 their minds up to these things when they're in school. That's it. That is so, so good. And oh, I, I hate to see that this is, this is coming to an end, uh, but I have two questions for you before we go. One, how do you mentor aspiring directors? What do you say to them to like, get them to think outside of the box or uh, think differently? Uh, I, I start off by asking them, where do you want to be a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? I just want to hear what they have to say about it. And then whether it's musically or not, I just want to hear where, where they want to be. Then I kind of give them some insight to where I was during the time and what I know now versus what I knew then. Uh, and, I, and, and I've keep the door and the phone lines and the computer lines open to where they can, where they can communicate with me at any time. I think you and I are a lot alike, Jack, in the fact that we don't mind mentoring our peers, especially the young guys that are coming in. And That's right. I've done everything from have dinners at the house to discuss, you know, potential festival pieces with everybody, to cookouts, to, you know, just whatever you got to do to make sure that we are uh, working together to keep music education at the forefront of, of curriculum instruction in the world. To, to piggyback off what you're saying, I think it's our job as older teachers to get with these younger teachers and help them no matter what. Absolutely. Oh, and, and, absolutely. And, no matter what, and no matter what means, no matter what their favorite style of band is, whatever they're in, this and other, whether it is the uh, HBCU style marching band or course style marching band, they're, good music is good music and good training is good training. And if we're there to help each other, then everybody wins. That's right. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. For me, it just starts off just getting, getting to know them uh, on a level where they can express to me their why for it. And I, I'll you know, start off by, why are you doing this? Why do you want to teach? You know, what's your why? What's your purpose for this? And, and then we can talk about the what afterwards. But they've got to be able to remember that whatever that is that they're doing, whatever the reason it is their why for doing it, that's got to be strong so that their what becomes a lot more effective. And so for me, it's just being able to just say, mm. here, I'm going to show you some ways or some things that I've been able to do. Uh, however, let's talk about some ways that you might like to bring some ideas to the table and Let's figure out a way to make you more successful uh, because it's not about me. You know, I want, I approach this as if these, these folks are going to be potentially my children's teachers, I want them to be equipped with every piece of knowledge they can so that my children benefit from that or, or my children's children or whoever. And so for me, it just starts with a simple conversation about what's your why, 
you know, what do you do this for? And I'll share my why with them. And then we go from there and continue to build. Well, see, the why got to be, the why got to be in place. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. The why got to be in place to get to the how. Yeah. You you, you can't get to the how unless the why is in place. That's right. That's right. I, I, man, I love it. You guys are just dropping, dropping some gems tonight. And it's just only going to help benefit uh, these music educators in, in our field. And then my, my last last question uh, for you guys will be, what's one piece of advice uh, you'll give to, to a young director? Oh, I'm gonna say this early because I don't want Marcus to steal it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't be afraid to be different. Don't, right. be, af- don't right. be afraid to be different. Don't, just because you graduated from some school and this is how they did it, doesn't mean that's how your band's supposed to do it. Don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to be the change agent that your students need you to be. You know, my principal mm. uh, at, at Baker High School said to her graduating class in 2015, you know, band directors, you know, as she said to her senior class, stand and be who you're called to be. You know, be who you're called to be. If, this, if, it's, if it's a conductor, that means you do less talking and, and your students will be able to follow the baton of anybody that stands in front of them because you are talking with the stick rather than with your with your tongue and your lips and and the students are are becoming artists early so don't be afraid to 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 be different you don't be afraid also to crank a little bit ain't nothing wrong with having a little fun however although you do have to have an on and off switch and teach that on and off switch from day one Mm, yes absolutely for me it's it's simple. Be you. And it's, it's a lot to a lot like what Dr. Irvin was talking about. Uh, I, I try to impress upon them the, the power of their uniqueness that, you know, they no one else in this world was made like them. No one else in this world has their fingerprints. And so what they need to do is put that fingerprint on that program of theirs. Take all the knowledge, take all the wisdom from everyone that you can. But be you and mm-hmm. and and be genuine to your students, be genuine to yourself. And at the end of the day, if you can be pleased with the work you've done, then you can you can rest well and get up the next day and do the same thing. So be be genuine to yourself and be proud of who you are. Whatever you do, do it so well that no man living, no man dead, no man yet to be born will do it even better. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's Benjamin E. Mays. Anything you guys want to plug? First thing I would like to plug would be the Bristol uh, Music Conference on February 27th, coming up uh, later this later this coming month. Uh, we will have some great speakers for high school and middle school students, college students, and directors, band directors, music directors from all over the country. We would love to have you there. February the 27th, we're partnering with the Conselmer Institute, and you can go to our website, reachthroughmusic.com, uh, for details as well as registration. $24 gets you a lot of information. You'll have access to it for a month. Absolutely. Dr. Edie, one of the things I really would like to plug is your Listen Up sessions. Uh, those have been really instrumental for me, uh, not only just as on a professional level, but on a personal level, being able to reconnect with some of our colleagues. And after that Listen Up session, uh, on Sundays, 7 Eastern, 8 Central, I believe. Uh, definitely want to, to plug that. It's a good time. Get six, six, six Central. Six Central. My apologies. Uh, 
that always confuses me. That going back and forth central. Same Eastern. here. Um, <laughs> but it, it is uh, so seven Eastern, six Central. It's just a great time. We hang out for a little bit. We just talk about anything uh, at the beginning, and then we dive into some music, and it's just a great time. So again, listen up sessions on Sundays. Last thing I'd like to plug, Jack, is that we will be doing something with Nicky Smith Jr. on Sound 180 as we'll talk about uh, You Are What You Eat, uh, looking to a healthy band uh, diet, so uh, uh, band, a balanced band diet. So we, we look forward to doing that this coming week. So look out on the Facebook page to uh, Sound 180 for uh, Dr. Jack Eady, myself, and Marcus Morris with Nicky Smith Jr. And you can find them on their websites, which are WilliamJIrvin.com wmarcusmorris.com or you can find them on social media at at their names. Well, man, I want to, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time and uh, joining Tales from the Bear Room today. You know, just just us talking about what we didn't learn from the textbooks is is so important to to the urban schools and i appreciate you guys uh taking taking a little bit of time and just uh sharing sharing the wealth of your knowledge with us so i appreciate you guys for being here you guys are great oh thanks for the invitation jack anytime thank you dr Edie. i appreciate it man we do we definitely want to continue to keep the conversation going forward and Dr. Irvin, we have finally made it, sir. We are I on know. Shells, <laughs> Shells from Can you believe it? The pod, the podcast. Oh my god! With the doctor, Jack Eady. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the episode. What the textbook didn't teach you. Our next episode will be to the end and beyond. We're going to make it through COVID, and I'm so excited about our next guest, the Queen. Myra Roden out of Fayetteville, Georgia. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tales from the Band Room. Check us out on all social media at Band Room Tales, or you can email your comments or questions to bandroomtales at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe to our Daddy's Podcast and leave a review. You can find out more about this podcast at talesfromthebandroom.com. Music by my Phi Beta Sigma line brother, Jason, Classic Beats Menace. Go Mob! These episodes are edited by Michael Tabone and Adam Siegelman. Thanks for listening. Make it a great day or not. The choice is yours.